Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for July 27th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson, and joining me today are Slash Film weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writers Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. So before we get started, I figured uh, we've been talking a lot about the Disney Fox deal. HT wrote a, a quick article about this earlier today. Give us the latest update. So the latest update that will essentially clear the path for the Disney Fox deal to be finalized is that the shareholders from 21st Century Fox and the Walt Disney Company both voted to approve the $71.3 billion mega merger between the two companies. And uh, that took place this uh morning and will essentially clear the path for the deal to finally be completed in the first half of 2019. Okay, so there you have it. Uh, there's not much more information that we know other than that. Um, but yeah, this has been, you know, sort of a long time coming. Uh, I think everyone is well aware of how we all feel about this. We've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast before, but I just thought it was uh, important to mention that the the shareholders had approved that deal. Um, all right, so let's dive into the real news of the day. Uh, and first up is is <laughs> arguably one of the I think the topic that's probably going to um, generate the most conversation among all 
of us. Um, Brad, tell us what the deal is with MoviePass. Oh, MoviePass just keeps batting a thousand. Uh, apparently, last night uh, in the evening, around the time uh, all the sneak preview screenings of Mission Impossible uh, Fallout were happening, MoviePass went down. Uh, people couldn't access that the app. They couldn't um, get it set up so they could buy tickets, and no one knew what was going on. MoviePass put out tweets saying that there was some issue they were looking into that was preventing people from buying tickets. Apparently, it didn't affect e-ticketing. Uh, but during this time, the reason the service went down, it was discovered this morning in an SEC filing from MoviePass um, that the reason the app wasn't working is because they ran out of money. And so the tickets couldn't be paid for. And so the service wasn't working because of that. So in order to get the service back up and running, MoviePass, or rather their uh, owner company, Helios and Matheson Analytics, borrowed $5 million to get it back up and running so that it would go smoothly. Uh, so um, some people are still having issues with the service working today as far as uh, the app's full functionality or buying tickets. Uh, but things aren't looking good for MoviePass. The uh, stock for Helios and, um, and Matheson took a dive uh, pretty recently to its lowest point. Um, there was a, uh, a reverse of that where they were able to get it back up um, through, I believe, what is called a, a reverse stock split. And so basically now, though, with this, the stock price has, has dropped down again. And it's just looking like it's going to be a, an ongoing problem for MoviePass. In the SEC filing, uh, it even says, uh, if the company is unable to make required payments to its merchant and fulfillment processors, the merchant and fulfillment processors may cease processing payments for a MoviePass Inc., which would cause a MoviePass service interruption. Such a service interruption occurred on July 26, 2018. Such service interruptions could have a material adverse effect on MoviePass's ability to retain its subscribers. This would have an adverse effect on the company's financial position and results of operations. So uh, this is just something, again, that's going to worry users, um, creating more problems. People are already complaining about how the surge pricing for MoviePass is working. Uh, I've seen some people who tried to go see Mission Impossible Fallout this morning see that there was surge pricing for the earliest morning screenings, screenings in which there were only a few seats sold. So that doesn't really sound like the definition of surge pricing to me. Um, but it seems like MoviePass is probably just trying to get as much money back as they can by having surge pricing for opening weekend showtimes, regardless of whether or not they're showtimes that are actually popular at the time you're buying them. Right. Um, so, HT, I think last night I saw you went to see um, Mission Impossible Fallout, right? Mm -hmm. Did you use your movie pass or try to? I tried to, and it was down for me because, uh, yeah, because of the surge uh, the uh, I, I figured at first it was because of surge pricing because that's what happened to me before but I learned this morning that yeah it was because the service was out of money and uh, I was hoping that they would give me a refund but I'm guessing that won't be the case since they probably don't have enough money to even continue operating <laughs> but, yeah I was wondering we'll if like the the introduction of surge pricing even before this uh, most recent shutdown um, was just a, a way for them to sort of um, you know, build up their finances because they've been they've been sort of uh, teetering on the edge for a, a little while now. Um, Brad, do you think that this is the end of you know the beginning of the end of MoviePass? Uh, I mean, it certainly seems like it. I don't know what other tricks they seem to have up their sleeve or how much money they're going to be able to round up to to keep going. But 
you know, the fact that they ran out of money and the server shut down because of it, you know, this this is like somebody who can't pay their water bill, uh, you know, because they don't have the money and their water got shut off. And now they're they're barely getting by by paying, you know, you know, like the past due amount, essentially. And, you know, this is just not a, not a good look for them, not a good start. And, yeah, I feel like it's not going to work out for them in the end. It's uh, obviously, you know, people, uh, investors are worried, because, and uh, as you can see, because the stock price dropped and it's not good. Um, you know, I obviously movie past people should try and enjoy it while they can, even though most of the enjoyment has been taken out by the surge pricing model. But you know, uh, we'll we'll see what happens. But don't don't forget, there's a, a great new AMC A list subscription that actually <laughs> works very well. So yeah, the thing is, like, I feel like uh, listeners and you know people send us angry emails when we talk about AMC and and sort of diss Movie Pass. But I feel like you know the, the company sort of has it coming with the way that they've been uh, you know conducting themselves over the past few months and like stuff like this. You know, for for people who listen to this podcast and who read slashfilm.com. Um, these are the kind of people who love movies and and presumably love to go see new things on opening weekend or opening night even. And, you know, when surge pricing dominates the entire opening weekend and basically that leaves you, what, like the middle of the next week or something before the surge pricing disappears, it just seems like it, it's not... Um, you know, this, these are the reasons that we're, we're souring on MoviePass as a, as a business model. So, I, I mean, I don't know what else we can really do um, to appease the people who are always, like, complaining about us complaining about MoviePass. But, like, they're digging their own grave here. It's not like we're, we have it out for them. We're just sort of trying to take a step back and look at everything as objectively as we can. And these decisions are just, uh, I mean, <laughs> like when you run out of money, that's not good. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. So hopefully we don't get too many angry emails about that. Um, I guess let's move on to our next uh, item, and that is uh, some unfortunate news for Andy Serkis' new movie, Mowgli. HT, tell us what's going on. So Warner Brothers has uh, sold Mowgli to uh, Netflix for the worldwide distribution rights and uh, dropped the film from its planned October theatrical release. But in Netflix's uh, planned release of the film, it will premiere on uh, in theaters to uh, showcase any circus's 3D effects for the for the film, but will mostly be intended for the streaming service. We don't know the exact details of its release, except that it's planned for 2019. So we don't have any idea about how many theaters or anything. I think when they released uh, Mudbound, um, I think that was last year, they put it out in like 16 theaters. Do we know any any numbers or anything? Yeah, no numbers were, were stated, but uh, assuming some sort of select uh, number of theaters, uh, similar to, to Mudbound, but probably in a greater extent because the film has such a star-studded cast, uh, including Andy Serkis himself, as well as Christian Bale, Kate Blanchett, Benedict Cumberbatch. And it's been just gestating for a long time and delayed for several times as well by Warner Brothers. So I think a lot of that was due to the the visual effects that they were working on. And Chris, I think when this um, news broke, you mentioned that you sort of like felt bad for Andy Serkis because he's been working on this for so long, right? Yeah, it seems like uh, it honestly feels like it's been like 20 years he's been working on it. I know that's not the actual number, but it feels like it's been a very long time. And, you know, not like not that Netflix is the kiss of death, but it's clear he put all this work into it. And he was, you know, there's even a quote in the, in the, the source, the story came from where he was like, Oh, I was really hoping everyone would see this on the big screen. Um, but obviously that's just not going to happen uh, overall. Like, you know, 
Netflix will put it on the big screen somewhere, but I doubt it's going to be a major release like he was hoping. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. Like, uh, HJ, I think you mentioned in your article, like, The Cloverfield Paradox, another uh, movie that was intended originally for a theatrical release and ended up going straight to Netflix. But that one, I think was um was marketed as going straight to netflix like they had this that big super bowl uh reveal of the trailer and hey surprise it's on netflix right now or right after the game kind of thing um Mm -hmm. this one they've already had trailers out and like featurettes and things like i I, can anyone think of another time where um a movie has been like full uh, full steam ahead in terms of marketing and then been just relegated to netflix like this this might be a new thing I mean, the closest probably comparison is Annihilation, which did have a theatrical release in the U.S. and had um, plenty of trailers, but internationally only got released on Netflix. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So, uh, Chris, let's talk about uh, Altered Carbon Season 2. What's going on with the new lead actor of that show? Um, Yeah, so Netflix just gave Altered Carbon a second season, which I got to say I'm a little surprised about because I felt like no one was even talking about this show but i guess it had enough viewers to get uh a second season so uh the the main character has been recast uh joel kinnaman played him in the first season and now anthony mackie is playing him in the second season and um if that sounds strange to you you obviously haven't seen the show because it's actually built into the premise um it's complicated and weird and I'm not going to break it down too much, but basically it's set in this futuristic world where people can upload their consciousness into brand new bodies. And as, as a result, people can essentially live forever. Just, you know, anytime their old body dies, they just swap into a new body. So this is pretty much always the plan. And even though I'm not a big fan of the show, I reviewed it. I reviewed the first season. I didn't really care for it. I kind of do like the idea that maybe every if it gets like a third season, they'll recast the lead again. They'll just keep doing that. that that's like a, a very different approach. And I can't think of another show that's really done anything like that. So on that front, it's interesting, but I'm not exactly pumped for a second season of this. So, um, and uh, forgive me because I haven't seen the show, but is this uh, similar in any way to the controversy that was surrounding Ghost in the Shell, the um, Scarlett Johansson uh, movie from, what was that, last year, I guess? Do you know what I'm talking about, where it was like an Asian character that had a white lead, and now this this show had a, a white lead, and now a black lead, but was the what's the name of this character? Uh, the main character is, his name is Takashi Kovacs, and it is a bit similar, although to Altered Carbon's credit, it actually has a fair number of flashbacks to the original Takeshi Kovacs played by Byron Mann. So it's sort of, he sort of shares equal screen time with Joel Kinnaman, but it is sort of that same sort of ghost in the shell thing. But I I don't know if it generated as much controversy as that film. Do we know if that original actor is going to be coming back for season two or is is just the Anthony Mackie thing the only thing we know about this season so far? Yeah, Anthony Mackie is the only confirmed casting we have right now. And uh, the show is based on a series of books and the books jump like hundreds of years into the future. So, you know, like every book spans like, you know, a millennia essentially. So it's it's possible. It's possible, like, no one from the first season will be back, but you never know. Jeez, okay. <laughs> Man. Uh, yeah, I will definitely link to your uh, review of the first season of Altered Carbon, uh, Altered Carbon in the show notes. Um, let's move on to our next 
topic, and that is Star Wars Resistance, the new uh, anime series uh, from the people at Lucasfilm. HT, what's the latest with this show? So uh, the German Disney XD channel released a synopsis for the first episode of Star Wars Resistance, and a Twitter user uh, so uh, generously translated the synopsis, uh, which read, Resistance fighter Poe Dameron tasked young pilot Kazuda Kazshiono with spying on the First Order. At the time, little was known about the secretive organization and its strength. In order to fulfill his mission, Kaz travels to the space station Colossus, which is being used by many ships as a port to do fuel and refuel and repairs. However, there are also dangerous races taking place there. After Kaz brag with, bragged with his piloting skills at his arrival there, he is soon drawn into one of the races. So here in the episode titled The Recruit, we learn about the main character for the series, who apparently is Kazuda Kaz Shiono, and um, also that this series will have a lot to do with pod racing, which uh, creator Dave Filoni had uh, teased before. So, H.T., as, as an anime fan, and you write uh, a regular column about this at SlashFilm.com, do you think that uh, this, um, I guess, general plot is uh, is appropriate for the anime style? Are you excited about seeing what they do with uh, the idea of, like, uh, regular races on the show? Well, pod racing, yeah, sounds something very much in line with anime uh, series that I've seen, especially in, like, classic films like Akira, for example. So I feel like definitely it lends to the anime um, aesthetic and the experience of that. So it, it's hard to say without seeing any images or uh, any official marketing from this series yet, apart from the um, image featuring, like, an anime R2-D2. But even then, it just kind of looks more stylized than anything right. so we'll see um i i am down for this series i haven't seen a lot of star wars uh tv series to be fair but i think that i i really enjoy the anime art art style and i like that um usually that it's hand-drawn i hope that in this case it will be hand-drawn so i much prefer that kind of uh animation style over a lot of the 3d or cg graphics animation style that we've seen. Uh, Brad, I think you're probably the biggest Star Wars fan on this episode of the podcast. What is your history with the uh, Star Wars TV shows and are you looking forward to Resistance as a big Star Wars fan yourself? Um, you know, I I dug the Clone Wars when it was on. I'm excited that that got announced for a revival uh, at Comic-Con. I enjoyed Star Wars Rebels even though I haven't finished it. I, I liked what I saw and I've been meaning to, to finish it now that the series is over. Um, as for our Star Wars anime series, the only thing that's really attracting me to it is the fact that it's Star Wars, because I just, I've never really been attracted to anime as an animation style. Um, it's just something that even as a kid, I, I couldn't get into. Uh, I've, I've just never really liked, you know, how it was, how it looks aesthetically, even though most of the stories at the center of uh, anime shows and movies sound extremely appealing to me. It's hard for me to get past the animation style. I just, it's, I'm just not a fan of it. So I might give it a shot to see, you know, if the the characters are interesting enough, and maybe, you know, maybe the animation style it will appeal to me simply because it's set in Star Wars. Uh, but it's not something that I'm necessarily super excited about. I'm sort of right there with you. I've dabbled here and there, um, but I, I have not uh, been, I have not taken the full dive into uh, the anime end of the pool. HT, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have any, like, uh, off the top of your head recommendations for uh, Full Metal us? Alchemist. Okay, well, yeah, there you go. You have one <laughs> locked and loaded and ready for us. That's my favorite anime, and I think it's also the best um sort of gateway anime too because it's the perfect blend of action humor romance comedy and it 
especially the original series, there's two series of them, Full Metal Alchemist and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. It gets quite philosophical in the first series, but it's also really tightly plotted and has really great characters. Uh, don't watch the uh, live action movie on Netflix, but definitely give it a chance. All right. Yeah. So any any other listeners who may share our same concerns, uh, I would recommend checking out Full Metal Alchemist. Um, HG, do you know where you can find that? Is that on Netflix right now or is that somewhere else? Uh, you know? I think Brotherhood is actually on Netflix. Okay, cool. So you can watch that on Netflix. All right, moving on to our next topic. Uh, one of the questions we're wondering about with the new Halloween movie coming out is how will the film handle the absence of Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis? Brad, what do you think the answer to that question is? I actually know the answer to that question, and I'll give it to you. Um, so for, for those who may not uh, necessarily know what we're talking about, um, in the original Halloween, one of the chief characters is Dr. Loomis, who is played by actor Donald Pleasance. Uh, he's the one who has followed uh, Michael Myers for years. He's the only one who really knows the true evil that is inside of him, and he's the one trying to warn everyone in Haddonfield what a threat it is that this person is walking around their town. Um, and he's a, one of the survivors at the end of the movie. He unloads some shots into Michael Myers before the body disappears, and we're left wondering what happened to him. Now, since the, the new Halloween that's coming out later this year picks up 40 years after the events of that first movie and disregards all of the sequels, uh, a lot of people have been wondering where that leaves Dr. Loomis, especially because the actor Donald Pleasance actually passed away in 1995, and uh, he actually appeared in all of the sequels up until that point. The, um, the, the last one that came out before he died actually came out the year that he died, which was Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Um, and director David Gordon Green was asked about the presence Dr. Loomis might have in this chapter that takes place 40 years after the original. And apparently what they did is they got a Donald Pleasance sound-alike, since he, um, they couldn't really bring him back in that way because Donald Pleasance has passed, but they wanted to, to ha have him some kind of presence. And so it sounds like they didn't get an actor to double him as far as being a body, but we'll hear his voice. And the trailer might give us some hints as to how that will work, because there are a couple shots of uh, Dr. Loomis in a courtroom setting so we might hear some courtroom recordings or maybe, uh, you know, some kind of uh, testifying or a statement to the police about what happened that night when Michael Myers murdered people in Haddonfield. Uh, so they apparently the sound like they got is really good. It's cool that they're bringing Dr. Loomis into the equation somehow uh, without, you know, recasting the character or, you know, or anything like that. So I, I think that's, a, that's a, a good move considering Loomis was such a big part of the original Halloween and the franchise that continued after it. And uh, as a little teaser, Green said there are some other nods that um, fans will notice in the new Halloween. And there apparently is also uh, another kind of uh, voice uh, cameo that fans might recognize towards the towards the end, maybe even in the credits, Green said. Interesting. I wonder who that could be. Uh, Chris, I know you're a big, big fan of Halloween, and this new movie is like one of your most anticipated films of the year. Uh, what do you think about this news? Uh, it, it sounds neat. They have, they've actually done this before in the Halloween series. Um, Halloween H2O at the beginning of that film has an actor uh, basically mimicking Donald Pleasance's voice, giving like a little speech over the opening credits. Um, I will say the guy they got for H2O, H2O sounds nothing like him, so I'm hoping <laughs> this guy is better, and I, I'm sure he will be, but uh, it's not unprecedented, but it's... It is neat that they're they're paying tribute to him in some fashion. Do you guys, I actually have a 
I haven't seen H two O in a while, and I never realized that that was a a different actor that did. I thought they just used like the lines that like came from one of the other movies. I don't know why they didn't, because they're literally just taking lines from the first film, but yeah. rather rather than just play the lines, they got someone else to read them, and I I'm sure there's some reasoning behind that. Maybe the audio quality wasn't as good. I don't know, but it's it they did hire an actor, and I don't I'm I'm still not sure why. Do you guys think that, um, I mean, I'm frankly a little surprised that they're going this route instead of doing like a, uh, like a digital, uh, creation, you know, like a Grand Moff Tarkin kind of thing. Um, we've seen with, I mean, Disney has, has been pushing the envelope in this regard for a few years now. I, I personally thought that Grand Moff Tarkin and, and young Leia in Rogue One looked terrible, but uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp recently came out and the young versions of Michelle Pfeiffer and um, Michael Douglas in that movie both look really, really good. And I, I feel like we're not too far off from an entire movie uh, that that features a, you know, a digitally de-aged character like that. Do you think we'll, we'll have the Irishman soon? That's right. And and I think uh, Ang Lee has one with Will Smith where I think it's called Gemini Man, where he's supposed to be like maybe fighting a younger version of himself or something like that. Uh, that I think that's supposed to be coming out either late this year or, or maybe sometime next year. Um, Chris and, and or Brad, do you guys have any thoughts about, uh, you know, like whether or not you would have liked to see something like that in, in this new Halloween movie? Or are you glad that we're, we're uh, <laughs> avoiding that for the time being? I mean, if, if it were like a small thing, I don't think I would have been bothered by it. Because I'm one of the people who actually wasn't completely turned off by um, the digital recreation of um, Grand Moff Tarkin in Rogue One. Uh, not that the ramifications of it weren't a little bit unsettling and like raised some eyebrows, but I thought that they did a pretty good job with most of the shots of Tarkin uh, in that movie. Leia, a little bit less so. Um, but I think that's at this point, it's just, it really is kind of unnecessary, uh, to, to do it because I mean, uh, you know, Dr. Loomis was, uh, an older guy when the original Halloween came out and it's 40 years later. So he would have to look much older and we've never seen what a Donald Pleasance at that age would look like. So it it doesn't really work quite as well as it does with those uh, other digitally recreated characters. Yeah, that's true. Chris, you have any thoughts? I would hate that, and I'm glad they didn't do it. I also, don't, I also don't know if they had the budget for that for this movie because I feel like they shot this very cheaply. I think that's like part of the, the Blumhouse method where they shoot things very cheap, and that's how they make a lot of money. But if they had done it, I would have been very weirded out by it. So I'm glad it didn't happen. All right, and joining us now is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Jacob, I wanted to bring you on for this news item because I know that you're a big fan of the Universal Studios theme parks and uh, specifically the Universal Studios theme parks in Orlando, Florida. And there is a, a bit of news involving um, what what may be to come in that area. Tell us about that. Yeah, these are my, these are my home parks. This is where I spent all my vacations growing up. So any news here is news I'm very interested in. And today's news is about a fourth park down there which we've been hearing about this for literally years. Uh, Universal, uh, unlike Disney, which has this Manhattan-sized sprawl of swampland in which to expand, uh, Universal uh, is essentially filled up all of its space years ago in Florida. And so whenever they buy more land or and expand, it's news because it says cause it's their, their plans are a little more transparent. They can't hide it as well. So when they start steadily buying up enough land for a new theme park over the past few years, which they have been, you know something's coming, especially when they keep on building more and more hotels. And in this case, um, 
there is a fourth park all but confirmed. The Orlando Sentinel uh, via Inside the Magic has all this from a Q&A with uh, Comcast uh, folks who own NBC Universal. And I'm just going to go ahead and read their quote. Uh, we are looking into it. We love the theme park business. It's one of our best, most consistent businesses. We think we have a lot uh, of very long runway. Another park in Florida would have the advantage of turning Florida from a two- or three-day destination to a potentially a week-long destination. We think that would be attractive. And this comes with all the um, – this pretty much backs up what we already know, which is that this fourth park is coming. just a matter of when. And the name that emerged out of this is Fantastic Worlds, which is, one, just generic enough to be anything – but two, just exciting enough <laughs> to, to um, grab your attention. Uh, and I know that they haven't confirmed what Fantastic Worlds is, but it reminds me of Islands of Adventure, the neighboring park in Universal Studios Florida. Uh, for those of you who don't know, there's Universal Studios Florida, the um, the home park, the, the uh, studio park uh, designed in the same style as the park out in Hollywood. There's Islands of Adventure, a more immaculately themed um more Disney-like park, even though it has its own Universal twist. And very recently, they owned, uh, they opened up uh, Volcano Bay, a massive, immersive theme, uh, themed water park. So this is the fourth park, and we don't know what will be here yet. I mean, the rumors for years have been that they'll have another Harry Potter section to go along with the two they already have. Uh, Lord of the Rings has been sought by both Disney and Universal for years. Uh, Super Nintendo Land, which is coming to uh, Universal Studios Japan in 2020 is coming to America and Florida. We just don't know where yet. And the rumors have been the uh, core home at Universal Studios Park. But Fantastic World is probably a better fit for that. It has a lot more room and would definitely give a sort of a star-studded centerpiece to this new area. Uh, ben, I know you're not as big on theme parks as I am. How does this sound to you? Is this a destination? I mean, the the title, like you mentioned, Fantastic Worlds, is like so vague, but I, I feel like it could definitely encompass a lot of different things there. Um, and, and I think Universal, I mean, as like uh, as transparent as the that quote that you read is, I mean, it's it's completely true. It's like if they add some other, you know, high profile, high value um, intellectual property to that park, it very well could turn Universal Studios into a week-long destination. And that's extremely important for them right now, you know, on the brink of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge getting ready to open up. So they have to be, you know, sort of scrambling to figure out what they're going to do to be able to, to compete with what Disney has going on, um, you know, with, with Star Wars. So, I mean, I'm not sure what the what I would want there, but, um, I mean, really, any of these options kind of sounds cool to me. Do you think, like, previously we've written about uh, the possibility of like a Star Trek world, or um, or maybe even like a, a Jurassic World build out sort of in into a maybe into a full land because we know that uh, like for example the Jurassic Park ride here in Hollywood is being rethemed um, from Jurassic Park to Jurassic World and the the thought the the rumors swirling around indicate that they might. Uh, Universal might be interested in sort of capitalizing on that property because it's so successful for them as a movie um, into a, a larger theme park space. Do you think, what do you think the the most likely culprit is here for what could end up in Fantastic World? Well, I think Super Nintendo World is going here for sure. I think that's, uh, I know the space that was rumored for it in Universal Studios uh, Florida, it seems a little small in comparison to what they could do with a whole new land. So I think we'll see this here. Um, there is, there is a Jurassic Park land in uh, Islands of Adventure right next door to this, but there is no Jurassic World land. And Universal has not been shy about having two Harry Potter parks, so I wouldn't be surprised if they have a Jurassic World park and Jurassic Park park. Mm -hmm. And part, part of me would love the idea of 
Jurassic Park on Adventure is this fully functioning theme park. You go in there, everything's okay. Whereas Jurassic World is themed like everything's gone wrong, everything's torn down and, and rubbish, and you feel like you shouldn't be there. I feel like that would be my, if I was Universal Studios creative, that's how I would pitch those two separate lands and keep them um, distinct from one another. But I guess the important thing here is that uh, Universal is doing all this in reaction to Galaxy's Edge, yes, but uh, Disney was reacting to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, uh, which really changed the game for theme parks. So we're watching these two theme park titans uh, battle each other back and forth. Um, Universal changed the game with Harry Potter. If you have not been to Harry Potter parks in Florida or, or California, they are immersive, they are beautifully designed, they are, they are you, you step into them and you feel like you're in another world. And by all accounts, Disney is trying to take all that and more with uh, Galaxy's Edge, which is going to feature uh, like shop vendors and, and wait, waiters in um, in full alien makeup and costume, uh, all in universe souvenirs, um, like stunts happening around you, the storyline following you. So Fantastic Worlds, based on this premise and the IP that they're pursuing for, if, if you believe all those rumors, suggests that. Universal says, okay, you're going to take our land and up it? Well, we'll build an entire park of lands like that and up you. So that's what it feels like to me. And the winner here is is theme park fans. I mean, uh, if these two are battling to make each other better, uh, then that's the best possible scenario. I guess my one complaint, and this is something I've, I've, that really drives me up a wall, honestly, is that Universal and Disney are so obsessed with IPs now and recognizable franchises that it will never get another... Uh, attraction like the original Pirates of the Caribbean, original Haunted Mansion rides that come from an original place and exist only in that park, and that continues to bum me out. But I do think that if 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 we're now in the business of creating recognizable worlds and letting fans enter them, uh, this is never a better time to to, to 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 want that to want to be in that theme park experience. Yeah, I think you're right. And and as far as immersion goes, if uh, if Super Nintendo Land is what happens here, I wonder if they're just gonna start. I mean, they might as well go all the way and just give everyone mushrooms as they walk through the door and just let them go <laughs> wild in the park. Uh, slash film readers may remember um, that the uh, Universal patented a bunch of ride designs around the time that Super Nintendo Land was announced. And there's some pretty wild stuff. I mean, we've essentially confirmed a Mario Kart ride. There's plans for a Zelda thing. But there's also uh, some ride designs that look like they could be for Metroid. And my favorite one is a um, ride system that simulates you being a minecart to jumping over gaps in the track, uh, a la old school Donkey Kong. So, like I said, they're, they're, if, if you ever want a very specific Nintendo experience, they seem to have it in the cards. They seem to be planning it. And the fact that they have, have looked back to Donkey Kong Country and said, remember those... Um, uh, levels where you're jumping over tracks in a minecart that could be a ride the fact that that's running through their mind makes me really <laughs> curious about what's in this fourth park beyond nintendo because if that's nintendo what about lord of the rings what about star trek there's so many options here definitely all right well that's going to bring us to the end of today's edition of slash film daily where can we find more of your work online uh let's go with brad uh you can find me on twitter at ethan underscore anderton writing at Slash Film all the time as well, and also my own podcast, Go Flix Yourself, available on iTunes and some other podcasting platforms. HT? I'm every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBuoy. Chris? I, too, am at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 Jacob? Uh, you can find me on SlashFilm.com every single day, and on Twitter, where I'm at Jacob S. Hall. And you can find me writing at SlashFilm.com as well. I am on Twitter at Ben Pears. And you can find more about all the stories we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside this episode's show notes. 
Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find at SlashFilm.com. We have a bunch of really awesome Mission Impossible content up on the site this week in uh, celebration of Mission Impossible Fallout, so check that out. You can subscribe to Slash Film Daily on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, and all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com, and be sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Uh, Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That really helps us out a lot. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll talk to you on Monday. If you and your team want to cut down on busy work and get more choice and control over accounts payable, you need Bill. Bill Accounts Payable is your secret weapon for saving time on AP. And with a special offer at bill.com slash podcast, you'll save money too. With Bill, streamline your entire AP process, including bill creation, approvals, and payments. You can pay with ACH, credit card, check, and international wire transfer. Plus, you can easily integrate with most accounting software. No wonder hundreds of thousands of businesses are already using Bill to manage their AP. Schedule a free demo now to see how Bill can automate your financial operations. And right now, get 15% off when you subscribe to Bill Accounts Payable. There's never been a better time to sign up. This special offer is available for a limited time only at bill.com slash podcast. Terms apply. See bill.com slash podcast for details.